Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf here going solo today to break down Josh Hart's free agency. He had an interview with Taylor Rooks of Bleacher Report, expressed his interest to hit the free agency market. So I'm going to get into what that means for the Knicks, how much they should pay him, how much it means to their salary cap implications going forward with a new CBA coming in. So a little CBA crash course. And then quickly at the end, a few backup plans in case things don't work out with Josh Hart. That's all coming up next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Starts without a five. Ewing for the win. Yes! Tuck left. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. He's cut. And he's Anthony for three. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account. And use code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off your first purchase. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. And I want to thank you guys for making Locked On Knicks first listen today and every day, whether you're checking us out on your favorite podcast platform or taking in the sights and sounds on YouTube. We appreciate you making us a part of your daily routine. Make sure to hit that notification bell on YouTube or the auto-download function on your favorite podcast apps. You never miss an episode, and you can become an everydayer. I'm Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Knicks site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. And let's just get right on into it here. So Josh Hart sat down for an interview with Taylor Rooks of Bleacher Report. And the the money quote obviously had to deal with free agency because Josh Hart has a player option this year. He is definitely underpaid, uh, but also definitely wants financial security as he should uh, going forward in his life and his career and wants a longer contract. I don't blame him. Uh, he made around $13 million this past season, which was definitely an underpay given the the huge impact that he brought to the Knicks. Uh, so we'll see what he ends up getting, but he basically confirmed that he is going to decline his player option and hit free agency. Uh, I'll read off the, the full quote from what he said with Taylor Rooks here. He said, we'll probably decline that and do the free agency thing. My first free agency, I was restricted and it was ass. <laughs> I actually kind of cried a little bit. It took like three weeks to get it done. And I was like, damn, do people even want me in the league? I didn't think this free agency would go that way. I love New York. I love the team. I love the coaching staff, the front office that we have. We've got young guys, draft picks, you know, all those sort of things. I mean, obviously, that would be an ideal place for me to just, you know, re-sign there and do that. Everything's perfect on the court, off the court, you know, with my family, being close to home, doing all those kinds of things. So, you know, fingers crossed that when free agency starts, I'll see a deal get done. Hopefully in the first day or two, I would love for that to be home. So, Sounds like Josh Hart wants to come back to New York. That should come as no surprise. It also should come as no surprise that the Knicks will probably look to bring him back because, well, there's a there's a bunch of factors that factor into that. One, they gave up a first-round pick to even get him on the team. So that's going to play into things, I'm sure, as far as, like, you don't want to pay that price to bring a guy to a team and then lose him after just a half a season. Uh, but 
on top of that, there's also the the factor of they have his bird rights now. So they'll be able to re-sign him using that, which I'll get to in just a second. Uh, but just the quick stats on Josh Hart. I mean, I I think that a lot of what he brought, you could sort of just see with your eyes. So you don't really need too many stats to tell the picture there. Uh, obviously, once he came to the Knicks, here's the things that happened. It, they got way better rebounding out of the guard and wing spot because he's the best guard wing rebounder in the league, period. He's listed as a wing on cleaning the glass, even though he's more of a, a two guard uh, in in terms of size and how big he is and whatever. But he's listed as a wing on there and was in the 99th percentile for wings as far as rebounding percentages went this past season. So he's pretty much the standard bearer as far as rebounders for the uh, the guard wing position. Uh, so you're, you're going to get fantastic rebounding out of him. Uh, he also is going to push the pace for you in in uh, transition and get to the you know all the way to the cup and and get buckets that way. He's going to uh, be a good passer in transition and increase the speed at which your team plays, which the Knicks sorely needed when they brought him on. And that was that little wrinkle that he brought was part of what led to that big win streak late in the season uh, once he became a member of the Knicks. And then uh, he also just pure stats wise, 10.2 points, seven rebounds, 3.6 assists. He shot 58.6% uh, overall, 51.9% from three and 78.9% from the free throw line. Once he came to the Knicks in the final 25 games of the regular season. But of course those numbers kind of took a dip. Uh, one might say a <laughs> more than a dip, a, a sharp dive <laughs> uh, in the postseason. And he wound up shooting 47.9% in the postseason, 31.3% from three, and 63.6% from the free throw line. That said, during the regular season, the Knicks were 10.3 points per 100 possessions better with Hart on the court than off the court uh, once he got to the Knicks, according to basketball reference. So I still think it overwhelmingly makes sense to sign him back. Um, obviously, he's not perfect. Obviously, there were there was room for more in the postseason out of him. Uh, part of it was, I think Tibbs was just playing him in the wrong situations, but I mean, he didn't have the same confidence from three in the postseason that he did during the regular season. Uh, he only took about two attempts per game or like two and a half attempts per game, I think uh, from three in the playoffs and didn't shoot well on them, which uh, Honestly, it could have been more attempts and he probably would have shot a worse percentage had he taken the like marginally open threes that we see a guy like Quentin Grimes take like all the time. But he uh, part of the problem was that he was passing up those threes. So, yes, there, there were problems down the stretch. And yet, I mean, the Cavalier series, he was like transformative. He did everything as well as he did in the regular season, like crank to 11 against Cleveland uh, and really, you know, made them pay on the boards and in transition and everything else. So if you get him in the right matchup, he's still a phenomenally uh, talented and useful player. Uh, we're also seeing right now, I mean, obviously the Heat are where they are in the NBA finals tied 1-1 uh, at the time that I'm recording this. And, you know, it's possible that, they just had a really good defensive scheme and everything else. That's why they're in the NBA finals now and why they took a game on the road against the Nuggets. So, you know, I feel like the Heat series, maybe I don't want to say take it with a grain of salt, but should at least be looked at from the prism of like, 
they're facing the team or they were facing the team that's now in the NBA finals and they had a great scheme. Uh, the issues were still there, but you know, when you're facing the team that might ultimately end up being looked at as the best team in the NBA this year, um, by the time's all said and done, if they win the finals right now, uh, maybe you can grade on a little bit of a curve. Um, so yeah, there, there's that situation as far as how, how much he affects things on the court. Obviously, too, there's the bird rights situation, which if those of you uh, those of you that aren't familiar with what bird rights are, just the, the quickest little crash course on them. Name for Larry Bird. Uh, it's an exception in the NBA salary cap or in the NBA collective bargaining agreement, I should say, that allows you to re-sign a player on your team and go over the salary cap to do it, even if you're giving them an exorbitant contract. Um, if the person has essentially tenure with your team, uh, you can go over the cap to resign them, which the Knicks would need to do with Josh Hart in all likelihood, because I think they will be starting this offseason over the cap, uh, which I'll get into in, in the next segment. But basically, if the Knicks would try to look elsewhere, which I'll I'll throw a few names at the wall at the end of the podcast here of guys that they could also potentially look at uh, to replace Hart if things, for whatever reason, fall through or some team comes through with like a $25 million offer for him or something, um, then – you know, that they wouldn't be able to pay those other guys nearly as much as Josh Hart because they have those rights for him. Um, so, you know what? That's actually a great opportunity to uh, say that in the next segment, I'm going to quickly go over the upcoming collective bargaining agreement, just do a quick crash course on what it means for the Knicks and for their salary implications going forward and how that could potentially shine some light on the heart situation and numbers that they might look to give Josh Hart. But first I got to remind you all that today's episode is brought to you by game time. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm more of a, a last minute ticket kind of guy. Um, and I always find that to be kind of stressful as being a last minute person is uh, for those of you that are also last minute people, you know exactly what I'm talking about. For some reason, we thrive in this environment and yet also understand that it's going to cause us stress. So I often find myself looking for last minute tickets. And when you go to some of these other apps or some of these other marketplaces, it seems like the prices are always way jacked up at the time of, you know, when you're trying to look like right before a game or right before a, a Broadway show or whatever the case may be. But I'm here to tell you that game time has been revolutionary for me as far as that's concerned. Uh, game time, they have all kinds of great things available when you're trying to buy tickets. Flash deals on last-minute tickets. Uh, they have easy to find, or it's easy to find and buy tickets for every kind of event in your area. They have images of seat views, and this is the most important part to me, at least. They have the lowest price guarantee, event cancellation protection, job loss protection, and more to help uh, make sure that that you're covered as far as getting the best price and having a little bit of a, a safety net as far as if you're not able to make a certain event. But it is the place for last-minute ticket deals. You don't want to plan months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. You can get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. And the Game Time guarantee means you always get the best price. So if you find tickets in the same section and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110%. Of the difference, you can get images of your seat before you buy, so you know exactly what to expect. You can buy tickets in a matter of seconds, two taps, and you're all set. And tickets are sent directly to your phone, so you never have to dig through your email. So snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Locked On NBA for twenty dollars off your first purchase. 
Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off. Download game time today. Last-minute tickets. Lowest price guaranteed. All right, and I'm back in to continue talking through the Josh Hart contract situation. And so I thought that it would be useful to break down the salary cap going forward a little bit and what it means for the Knicks, especially as it pertains to this new Josh Hart contract, because it's going to get a little more punitive. Uh, they, The NBA and the Players Association and all the powers that be came to a new collective bargaining agreement um, I think in April, early April, I want to say they, they came to this agreement, like right around the start of, or the end of the regular season, start of the postseason, to make it so that we're not going to potentially see a lockout until, uh, the year 2029 or later. So that's awesome. Uh, hopefully it doesn't come to that in 2029, but we know we at least get six more years of, uh, of worry-free basketball without having to worry about, uh, what's going to happen as far as, a potential lockout or, you know, the player striking or whatever the case may be. Uh, so that's good to know. But uh, I, so I'm going to give like a little bit of info here. I, I read a really good write up from uh, Sam Quinn at CBS. So if you want to read what I read to sort of get an idea in, in word form uh, on a page, you could definitely check that out. Just Google like 2023 NBA salary cap, Sam Quinn or something. You can find it. But uh, so Sam, Sam kind of laid this out in, in basic terms. So, for those of you that are unfamiliar just with the overall way that the NBA salary cap works, it's it's what's called a soft cap. So there's a certain number that is set every year. Uh, lately, it's been in the 120-something million dollar range. I think next year, as I'm about to note in a minute, it's projected to be in the 130s. Um, so there's that number. That number dictates how much guys can get paid. So there are certain scales of contracts that players can be paid over different times of their career. There's the max contract, obviously, that you're probably familiar with. There's, um, you know, the rookie contracts. There's veterans minimum contracts, all this good stuff. Uh, that every year, is, all those numbers are determined by a percentage of that salary cap number, uh, which, again, this year figures to probably be in, like, the 136 or so million dollar range. Uh, but that salary cap is not to say that, like, if you – the reason it's a soft cap is if you hit that salary cap, it just restricts – how much money you can give out like unrestricted, how much money you can, you can pay players with, you know, like basically up to the amount that the salary cap dictates that they're allowed to get paid. So, you know, you can offer up to max contracts to any player in the league. If you have the cap space to do it, uh, obviously now that we know with super maxes too, that it, it very much encourages uh, re-signing with your current team. So obviously like a, a an extension, Max contract is different than a free agent max contract, but that's a whole topic for another pod. Um, but there is this is what sort of becomes important. What I think is important to discuss with the Josh Hart situation. So I mentioned they the Knicks have bird rights, so they can pay him over the cap. You know they can they can go over the cap to retain him uh, using those rights. So the Knicks could potentially pay Josh Hart like you know in the neighborhood of twenty million dollars this offseason, even though they don't have twenty million dollars in cap space. That's because of the exceptions that exist to allow you to exceed the cap, to keep your current team together. Um, and in the case of what's called the mid-level exception, to bring in a couple players uh, or bring in a player or a couple players using an extra little bit of money that the league allows you to spend uh, every year 
which is usually in like the seven to ten million dollar range uh, for especially for a, a tax paying team, which that's the other thing. There's another thing called the luxury tax, uh, which once you're over that number, it uh, triggers a thing where you get less money to spend and you have to pay a tax on all dollars over that amount uh, to the NBA. And the tax gets worse every single year. So like each year that you exist as a tax paying team, your tax number goes up and up and up and up and up until eventually you're paying like almost double your roster in some cases. This is what happened with the Golden State Warriors, for example, who have paid for years to retain their players, uh, you know, to retain Steph and Clay and Jordan Poole and Andrew Wiggins and Draymond Green and all these guys. Um, they are heavy luxury tax pay payers as a result uh, because of keeping that core together. They're, they're paying like, in some cases, I think three, uh, like three dollars on the dollar for every dollar that they're over the the luxury tax or something like that. It's it's an obscene uh, to where their total payroll, if you factor in luxury tax, comes out to like three hundred fifty million dollars or something. Um, but so the way the luxury tax works is there is the the cap number and then there's a luxury tax number that gets set. Um, so the the tax line this year was one hundred sixty two million dollars according to Spotrack, which is a great website if you're ever curious about. Uh, cap stuff uh so 162 million is your is your tax line so once you get over that you have to start paying a luxury tax i won't get into the nitty-gritty of like the percentages you have to pay just know that like that's an important number where then you have to pay extra on your salaries um so the there are two aprons then there used to only be one apron where if you were over this certain apron it would trigger certain things to like hard cap you but now there are two separate aprons uh, that you can hit beyond the luxury tax line. Um, so the first apron is around six million over the tax line, and so that would place you around like 170 million dollars if you're if you're using this year's numbers, like 168 to 170 million. And then now there's going to be a second apron, and according to Sam Quinn in the the article at CBS, that's going to come in at around 17 and a half million over the tax line. So if you figure based off this year's tax number that probably places you around like 180 to 185 million. If that's where your salary touches, then you're going to have to start paying even more money. And if you're over that second tax line, now the big thing is they are removing the ability in this CBA to use the taxpayer mid-level exception. Uh, so basically you get about a $18 million runway to pay guys using the, the, uh, taxpayer mid-level exception. So once you touch that luxury tax number, at let's say it's this year with the new cap comes in maybe around 165 or something. Once you touch that number and then you pay over that and then hit that second apron, you don't get to use the mid-level exception anymore, which is around $7 million or give or take, depending on the year. So if you start hitting that second number now, it's basically going to say like you can only sign players to minimum contracts or re-sign guys that are already on your roster for anything over a minimum contract, which is going to be really, that's going to like really kneecap a lot of teams like the Warriors, for example, that for years have been able to add talent by using that taxpayer mid-level exception to get more talent that way. So anyway, how does this all come back around to the Knicks? I'll try to be, I'll try to be somewhat brief. Uh, basically the Knicks seem like they're in a pretty solid place money wise. And yet 
with how things are going, with who they're going to need to be paying and when they're going to need to be paying them. So this year, for example, they already have almost $150 million on the books. And this is assuming that they uh, declined Derrick Rose's last year of his contract. And this would be assuming that Josh Hart was only making the amount that he was making. Like, so if he had, if he would opt into his deal, which he's obviously not going to. So they're probably going to be in a situation where once they sign Josh Hart this year, they're going to be paying upwards of 160 million potentially for their roster. And now of course you have like Evan Fournier on the team too, who's making $18 million. Uh, So maybe you find some way to offload him. Obi Toppin is in the last year of his rookie deal, making around like eight and a half million dollars. So maybe you look to offload him. I don't think the the Knicks necessarily will touch the luxury tax line this year, uh, even if they give Josh Hart a new deal, just because he can effectively slot in for Derrick Rose's salary slot. But, I mean, it's going to start getting a little tight. And then you got to consider, like, if you do want to keep Obi Toppin around, you're going to have to either extend him this summer or re-sign him next year as a restricted free agent. Same thing goes for Emmanuel quickly, which I think is even more likely. And then you go through all that same stuff next summer with Quentin Grimes. So the Knicks like really have some decisions to make coming, coming up as far as how they want to spend their money and what they want to do as far as potentially touching that luxury tax number and then potentially becoming a tax paying team and how that could affect their team building going forward, because it's going to make it a lot harder than uh, there's another thing, which I didn't even get into, but like that even makes it harder to trade for guys once you're over that luxury tax number and all that, and have effectively effectively been hard capped uh, makes it harder to make trades where you bring back more salary than you're sending out and stuff like that. It's, it's just all in all going to make their lives a lot harder if they start getting into that range. So that of course brings up the, the question of how much should the Knicks pay Josh Hart? So uh, we'll take a second, come back. And in the next segment, I'm going to get into how much I think the Knicks should probably pay Josh Hart uh, as it pertains to that salary cap number. And then just throw a couple other names out there as far as if things don't work out with Josh Hart, but also kind of explain why those names would be a lot harder to get in all likelihood. And and the Knicks should probably just look to retain Josh Hart going forward. All right. I'm back in to continue talking through Josh Hart and his free agency and his new contract. So, uh, so I think I've been saying for a little bit now when Gavin and I have been asked about this and when we've been thinking about it, uh, what I would potentially pay Josh Hart. So I think my range is probably about 18 million. Um, I could see a world where from the Knicks, he gets anywhere from like 16 to 20 million or so uh, as far as annual value on his deal. Now, of course this NBA deals typically scale one way or the other. So like Jalen Brunson's deal, for example, scales down each year. He has, he has descending payments on his contract. So he had like what's called a front loaded contract where he gets more money up front and then gets paid less as each year goes on, which is definitely better for the, as far as I'm concerned, at least for keeping future flexibility, as far as the salary cap is concerned. So, I think my preference would be to sign Josh Hart on a similar type of deal. Essentially do it now where you can pay him like 20 million in his first year or something. And, you know, put yourself right like on the cusp of the luxury tax number and not quite hit it. 
and then have that go down over the years to hopefully keep you under that luxury tax number or at least under one of those higher aprons as you keep paying more of your incumbent guys like Emmanuel quickly and whatever uh, and, you know, add other players on the team, then you can kind of keep your, your salary going down a little bit with some of your, your players that are higher paid like a Jalen Brunson, like a Josh Hart. Um, so hopefully that's something that the Knicks look into. I would not be surprised because they're very savvy with that sort of thing with Brock Aller uh, on the team. But I, I think around 18 million, I think front loaded would be the way to go. Uh, started at around 20 million, have the annual value come in around 17 to 18 million. So have that decline each year. So then by the time you reach the end of his deal, he's making, you know, around like 16 million or something like that in the final year. Let's say it's like a three, four year deal. Uh, I think that would make a lot of sense. You can effectively just replace Derek Rose's spot with Josh Hart plus a couple million this year. And it'll put you, I think, safely under that luxury tax number. I might still look to get rid of Evan one way or the other this offseason to get that 18 or so million off the books or like 18 and a half, whatever he's making. But, you know, it. if you can't, then you should still be okay. But the thing is, you don't want to touch that luxury tax this year, I don't think, because I think you, at least in my opinion, and I'm sure this is the opinion of the Knicks, you only want to get into the luxury tax once it's time to compete. Like, I think that that's the thing is you have to have a core that's in place that you can say, you know what, this core is good to like potentially compete for an NBA championship. Um, You know, we feel good about these guys. Let's like go all in here. We're going to make whatever moves we have to. We'll go over the cap to resign some guys and hit that luxury tax because we're confident that with a few tweaks and a few veteran minimum guys to plug in here and there that this team could potentially win an NBA championship, uh, which obviously we've seen again with like the Warriors, with the Clippers, you know, teams like that, that have been luxury taxpayers pretty much every year. Uh, but it is also going to get increasingly hard to not hit the luxury tax with these supermax contracts that are being handed out as well, which is why we should probably thank our thank our lucky stars a little bit that the Knicks are in the situation they are with with Jalen Brunson massively underpaid for a actual superstar in the NBA. I mean, he is like for sure a superstar. Julius Randle, superstar, underpaid. RJ Barrett, you could even argue maybe by the end of his deal looks underpaid based off his production because we're about to see guys making potentially like $60 million in the NBA soon with a $130 to $140 million salary cap. Like it's going to get real hairy for some of these teams trying to keep these teams together and potentially paying luxury tax for a team that is not going to win an NBA championship. So uh, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, I, I think – around 20 million starting descending that's that's probably my number for josh hart where it evens out to around 18 million annually but pays him a lot less on the back end of the deal um would probably be my my preference but um just in case things don't work out i I pulled just a few names and i'm going to just really quickly go into these because i'm sure that we can go over them more in the future but i figured i would just kind of give an idea of what the wing market is like uh, this offseason, as far as guys that would fit into roughly the same tax bracket as Josh Hart, obviously, like, like 
James Harden, more of a guard, but like a guy like James Harden might be available this offseason, for example. But I really doubt that he's going to come to the Knicks for whatever the Knicks could offer. Um, so, or even if the Knicks were going to do a sign and trade, like why would you do that at this point? So I'm mostly looking at guys that fit more into the role player box. So one guy that maybe we're pretty familiar with, uh, Karis Levert. Knicks ran into him in the the first round of the playoffs. I'm honestly not totally sold that he was worth the $19 million he was being paid on his last deal. So I I feel like maybe I would I would probably pay him less than Josh Hart just because I kind of think that his overall impact is less. Um, but still a, a really nice, you know, utility wing. He had 12 points, four boards, four assists this year, shot uh 43% overall, 39% from three, which is great, and 72% from the free throw line. Actually, a decent volume from three. I think he had like four or five attempts per game, so that's solid. Uh, so he's he's taking and making a decent amount of threes and shooting almost 40%. But as we saw in the first round, I feel like he can be kind of inconsistent. Um, I don't think he's a big factor on defense. And his shooting at the rim is okay. Uh, you know, I think he shot like 60% this year, which is like good but not fantastic. I think Josh Hart does a better job around the rim. Uh, so obviously the three-point shooting maybe is the difference maker there, but I, I feel like with what you lose on rebounding and defense that I would still probably prefer Hart in a vacuum. But, I mean, I, I would say that I would trust Levert to still be sort of like the Alec Burks role of what Burks was on the Knicks before Tibbs tried to turn him into a point guard, of just being like a creator off the bench that can, you know, make his own shot and, and you know, take and make some shots, but occasionally go off for a really big scoring game, stuff like that. So, you know, if you could, you would probably have to sign and trade for him. That's the only thing. Like, he's probably going to command a similar price tag to Josh Hart or to, you know, some of the other guys on this list of, like, 16 to $18 million or, or perhaps even more. And if that's the case, then, I mean, you, you probably have to sign and trade for him. Maybe you can use Evan Fournier and some second-round picks or something to get it done uh, if he really says that he wants to come to the Knicks. But I, I don't know that. I would necessarily bank on that. Uh, but speaking of Alec Burks, he's a free agent too. So maybe that's a guy that you look at potentially to bring back. Uh, I don't think I need to go too much into Burks because we just saw him play with the Knicks for a couple years. He was basically the same guy in Detroit this year, but in a worse circumstance, he still kept his chin up, played really well. Uh, shot over 40% from three this year for the third straight year, which I think is really significant. He is just, he is a shooter shooter. And doesn't just do that on spot up attempts either. Like he creates a lot of his own looks and shoots really well at them. So potentially, if you can bring him back, I say go for it. Even if you can use a mid level exception to bring him back, maybe even just bring him onto the current roster with Josh Hart. So maybe that's not a mutually exclusive thing, but I, I still love Alec Burks and I'd love to bring him back if possible. Uh, Gary Trent Jr., another name uh, to potentially look at. He definitely is not going to give you what Hart does on defense and rebounding. But if you need floor stretching, he's definitely the guy. I mean, he shot 37% from three on almost seven attempts this year, 38% on almost eight attempts last year. So he's he's a shooter, man. Like, if you're worried about the the shooting problems that Hart had in the game against or the series against the Heat, you're not going to get that with Gary Trent. Now, granted, you're also not going to get as much on the defensive end and the rebounding, so that you got to factor all that in as well. Um, but Trent is a great 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 shooter so uh, if you think that that's the direction to go instead 
then you can uh, now. And he's also, you know, he's not like an Evan Fournier. Like he's not like horrendous on defense. He's just not great. Um, so, you know, that's a guy to consider, but again, you know, a guy that's going to make more than the Knicks could ever possibly offer him just as a pure free agent. So you'd have to execute a sign and trade with a division rival to bring him in. I don't know how easy that would be. I don't know how receptive Toronto would be to like, Oh, here's Evan Fournier and a couple second round picks and maybe like Deuce McBride or something. Maybe they look to get into a, a more of a rebuilding mode. And maybe there's, I think I saw a rumor about Fred Van Vliet potentially going to Philly, you know, with Nick nurse or something like if Philly trades for him, especially if James Harden leaves there, I don't know how that's all going to work out. I don't know if they're going to switch into rebuilding mode, but either way, you know, it's a guy that you probably have to pay to bring on. And then last, uh, Lonnie Walker, I, I think, I mean, he obviously had his moment in the playoffs this year, he had those big games against the Golden State Warriors in the second round for the Lakers uh, and helped them advance to the Western Conference Finals. He's really improved a lot as a three-point shooter. He shot uh, almost 37% on around four and a half attempts per game this year. So, And he wasn't signed for a lot last year, so he might be a candidate for the mid-level exception, but likely will try to get more in the range of, I would assume, at least like $10 million if he can swing it for like a couple of years, maybe like three years, $30 million, something like that. So if that's the case, I he might be in that awkward range where I don't know if the Knicks can necessarily get him. Um, he also might end up in a, in like a double sign and trade scenario with bringing Kyrie Irving to the Lakers at this point and going to the Mavericks or something. So he could get more money that way. I, I don't know exactly how things are going to go there. Um, so I wouldn't totally bank on it, but Lonnie Walker is a decent option at the wing. If the Knicks end up not re-signing Josh Hart, but I think that's all moot point. Hopefully I did a good job of, of laying out, why the Knicks should bring Josh Hart back. Uh, just It just makes sense. You know, they have the ability to, to pay him more. Uh, so, like, I think I think maybe it's a good idea. Um, but we'll see how things play out as we get closer to free agency. We don't have to wait till the end of the month. And then, obviously, the draft will happen. And free agency will be hot on its heels. And we'll get to, hopefully, if Josh Hart has his way, like he said, within a day or two of free agency opening, Maybe we'll have answers on this within like the first two days of free agency. So we'll see how things go, but we'll have plenty more for you guys on Locked on Knicks. So till next time, thanks for listening and we'll talk to you soon. Peace out everybody.